Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cat Talk Radio. I'm your host, Molly DeVos, and I'm really excited about my guest today, Pam Bennett Johnson. Pam is a personal role model for me because she's a pioneer in the field of cat behavior consulting. She's been making cat behavior house calls since the early 80s. And she's the best-selling author of 10 great books. Many are used as texts for professional behavior courses, like I had one of her books when I went to school for, for my certification. And she's a mentor to many, many, many in the cat behavior field, as well as having her own cat consulting practice called Cat Behavior Associates in Nashville, Tennessee. She also starred in the Animal Planet UK series called Psycho Kitty, and I I could go on for hours about everything Pam's done and influenced in this field, but I know you're anxious to hear from her and not me. And so today, we're going to talk about Pam's new book. It's called Cat vs. Cat. Now, she's already got a book out. I think it was published in 2004 called Cat vs. Cat, but this is an updated and greatly expanded edition. So, Pam, I'm, I'm honored to have you on the show today, and, and start us off by telling us why you thought your Cat versus Cat book needed to be updated. Well, luckily, uh, behavior has really changed since that book first came out. We're always learning more. Of course, cats are never going to give up all their secrets, but behavior has become just better and bigger fields. So there's more, there, there are more techniques, there's more things available. And, and I know more than I did. You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. so many more years of doing consultations and spending time with cats. So I know a lot more. And I wanted this to be as comprehensive as possible so that I, I always feel this with the books that I write. I want when you read it to feel as if I'm standing right next to you going, okay, here's what you do next. Mm-hmm. And then if that doesn't work, here's what you do next. I want everyone to feel as if I'm guiding them. It is. And it's a good book. I, I read it. I was blessed enough to get an advanced copy so in, in advance of this interview. So I read it and it is absolutely a, a, a giant handbook of living in peace with multiple cats. But it's so much more than that. It's 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 resources of, of all kinds. It's, it's a lot more than just how to do a cat introduction. Exactly, because things don't always go smoothly maybe five years into them living together. Or uh, some people will think, well, I've had cats living together for 10 years and they've never gotten along. There's nothing that's ever going to help me. Well, that's not true. So, what, what I've done is hopefully before you get that second cat, you'll read the book so that you know how to do the intro correctly, but also you'll have tools to help guide you through their relationship. Or if you've had cats living together for many years, there are things you can do to improve the relationship. There may be tension going on under the radar a little bit, just because you don't see fur flying and you know, screeching and, and screaming and, and fighting doesn't mean things can't be improved, doesn't mean that there isn't some stress going on. 
Yeah, true, true, because cats suffer in silence when they're stressed. So it's, it's really important to know. Now, and, and it's, it's an amazing, in addition to the comprehensive nature of this book of just awesome, great cat care, it's a step-by-step guide to adding a cat to your family. And I want to talk first a little bit about, you know, I, I always get asked, and I'm sure you do, you know, do I have too many cats? Is it overcrowding? And, you know, should I get another cat? How many cats should I have? And, you know, when when I went to the Animal Behavior Institute for my certification, one of the things that they taught us was how much space a cat really needs. So, you know, they say in the wild, uh, cats Cats. live solitary and will live in about a six city block area. And And they told us that for a cat to truly feel like they have ample territory in a home, we would need to provide them a 10-bedroom home. But in your book, you mentioned specifically that you feel that multiple cats can, can actually live life without frustration in much smaller, smaller spaces. So talk to us about that. Well, it's all about the setup. Cats, we make the mistake of thinking they're solitary animals, and they're not. They're social animals. They're solitary hunters because they hunt small prey. But their social structure is different from, say, that of dogs. Their social structure is built, built around the availability of resources. So if you have adequate resources, and I'm talking about not, not having one water bowl and one food bowl that everyone eats out of and one cat that everyone has to share. You have to set up the environment so that each cat has their own core area, you know, where they can sleep, where they can use their litter box, where they can eat if, if cats don't want to eat close together. So if you address those core issues and you also take advantage of vertical territory, because that's a big part of a cat's happiness too, is we live in a horizontal world, they live in a vertical world. If you address those things, and you've done a good introduction, and you have cats who have complementary personalities, they can, they can live in a small apartment very, very happily. But you have to do your job. And that's sometimes where we fall short, is we think, okay, we're just going to put the cats together. I've got two cats. I have a small apartment. I'm just going to have one litter box, one bowl of food, one bowl of water, one cat tree and expect the cats to share. And yeah. that's where problems come in. And, and you know, the other thing that I think is really interesting about, about cats and, and also can be confusing for cat owners is it's not like a, a, a dog's multiple dog home where they do typically have status rungs and, and they're pretty much solidified and don't change. But with cats, their social hierarchy is very fluid and it changes sometimes multiple times a day and sometimes by room. You know, a cat won't necessarily dominate the whole house, but that domination can change from, from room to room. Isn't that right? It, right. It can be that there's one cat who clearly rules the roost, but it, it's very often what resources are important to them. You know, one cat may be a little more concerned with the food. So that cat kind of guards the the kitchen a little more. One cat may love the owner's bed. And that's, that's the area that they feel is worth fighting for. So if you look at what your each cat values and make sure that those cats have, as I said, all the things they need in their core areas, it doesn't mean 
you can stop one cat from using another cat's litter box. But if you provide choice and choices, if you read Cat versus Cat, or if you go on my website, you'll see the word I use most often is choice. The more choice you give, the more comfortable the cats will feel. Mm-hmm. True. And what do we do in those situations where, I know you and I probably get lots of calls like this, but my cats have gotten along for years and then just suddenly, which of course we know that's usually not true, start to have issues. What, what's generally the cause of those issues when, when nothing has apparently changed in the cat's world, meaning we didn't change litter boxes and we didn't change food and we didn't have a baby and, and they feel like, you know, there's no reason for these cats to be fighting after they've gotten along for so long. What are some of the things that can happen to cause those situations? Well, it can be something as simple, simple, but sometimes dramatic as redirected aggression, meaning the cat, one cat saw another cat outside and then took his frustration out on an, his companion cat. Uh, It could be health. You know, your cats might be getting up in age and there might be cognitive issues going on. There could be medical issues going on. And things incubate before they become obvious to us. So whenever there's a change in behavior, any change, that should be viewed as a potential red flag to make sure that there isn't something medically going on. But also I want to say even though you may look at your environment and think, well, nothing's changed. I haven't moved. I haven't had a baby. I haven't divorced or gotten married. Not every stress trigger has to be a big, obvious one. It can be a smaller one. It could be a mood that you're in. Maybe you've been in very, we've dealt with COVID. I I can't tell you how many consultations I've done because the owners are depressed and stressed So that's now affecting the cats and their relationships. Mm -hmm. So look at things that are subtle too. You you really have to look at your environment from your cat's point of view, but they're really good at letting you know by their change in behavior that something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, I think people seem to think that they're not sensitive and they're incredibly sensitive creatures and, and, little things really do affect them. Oh, for some cats, it can be as simple as uh, a food that you've always been feeding. Maybe the formula changed or the texture changed a little bit, and that can stress some cats out. Cats are creatures of habit. They take comfort in the familiarity of their normal expected routine, mm-hmm. and they don't like abrupt changes. So, uh, and also, I've always called them little emotional sponges. They pick up on our moods so easily. That's true. That's true. You, you mentioned something in the book that I thought was, was so valuable. You call it your resource evaluation floor plan. And, and I want to advise everybody, I want you to talk about that. And I want everybody, if you, even if you don't have cats that are fighting, buy this book for nothing more than this resource evaluation floor plan because it can help you to understand, are you setting your cats up for failure in the future? So tell everybody what that is. Well, when I do a consultation, I want a floor plan. Now, it can be, you, know, you can just draw a simple floor plan, and you have to have one for each floor of your house. And you mark off, you color code and mark off 
where the resources are, where the litter boxes are, where the food bowls are, water bowls, uh, cat trees, bedding, but also you mark off where each cat likes to spend the most amount of time so that way you're learning the different core areas and also where issues tend to happen. So then by looking at this and seeing your floor plan, you then may see, oh, wow, most of the fights between these two cats happen in the hallway. And that happens to lead to a room where I have the litter box. So maybe that's not a good location. Maybe I need to add a litter box in a more open area. So it helps you see what maybe needs a little tweaking where you maybe have to add something or where you have to do a little behavior modification to help cats associate a certain area of your home more positively. So I find, and I'm this way, is I, if I see it, it's very clear to me. So yeah. very often when I work with clients and we go through that floor plan together and they see it, mm-hmm. then, then it makes total sense to them. Yeah, I'm the same way. It's visually for me, I, you know, if I have to read a bunch, it's blah, blah, blah. If you draw me a picture, I got it. <laughs> yeah. And you talk a lot in the book about outdoor access for cats. Are you in favor of letting cats free roam outside? Never. No, I am. Uh, I believe cats should be kept indoors other than outdoor enclosures. And I'm really specific about, I guess, the, the term, the popular term now is catio. I'm really specific about how people do that. Not only does it have to be well-constructed, but the cat has to have immediate and always available access back to the house. So we don't create an outdoor enclosure, put the cat out there, and then the cat can't come come back in. Uh, And never leave cats in the enclosure when you aren't there to supervise because you can't control what's going on outside of the enclosure, whether it's another cat or a dog roaming or some other animal that could create tension. So if you want to do that, just make sure you've, you've really done it carefully. And not every cat, just like with walking cats on a leash and harness, not every cat is a good candidate for outdoor access, even in a controlled way. Mm-hmm. Right. Some of them just get too stressed out by it. They're much right. more comfortable with, in their safety zone. Exactly. And in, with a multi-cat household, sometimes it helps if the cats can feel like they have a little more territory and they can go out in their catio. But sometimes it can be bad because if a cat has a negative experience or smells unfamiliar smells and comes back in and then is very agitated and takes it out on his companion cats. So... You really have to evaluate knowing your cats and the relationships they have, whether what you're going to do, if you're thinking of doing an enclosure or walking a cat on a leash and harness, is this really going to be beneficial? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, in, in your process of introducing a new cat in the book, I really like your reference of introducing them one sense at a time. You know, we get them familiar with each other by the sense of smell first, and then visually by putting a visual barrier between them. And that visual stage is often very challenging for clients. I have a lot of clients that put up screen doors and some do elaborate things. And you mentioned a hook and eye system in your book. Tell us about that. Well, there are many ways you can do visual exposure. What I do with the hook and eye is so that you create it so the door can only open so much. 
So maybe a cat can stick his nose and look, but can't get his body through. So this is helpful if you live alone and you're trying to do an introduction and you don't have somebody else who can kind of watch and you each take a cat and you're in charge of a cat. So a hook and eye, you know, just make sure that you've chosen a hook and eye that's small enough that the cat can't get totally through. Other ways to do it are with baby gates. Uh, I stack three baby gates, one on top of another. Um, Baby gates are great because you can cover them with a towel if you need, if you realize that, wow, we can't have that much visual exposure. And some people don't want to do a screen door, you know, a temporary screen door. So there are a lot of options you can do, uh, even a piece of cardboard that you can kind of cut to make more visual access. So in the book, I give you ideas to be creative so that you can do what you feel will work for you based on your environment and your capabilities. But the reason I talk about doing one sense at a time is people often rush the process. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I know you've heard this, you know, many times, you just put the cats together and they'll work it out. Well, that's the worst thing you can do. Absolutely. So by, by stressing a sense at a time, it helps people realize they've got to go slowly. Mm-hmm. I do. And so that also, I know we get asked a lot, how long do you have to keep the cat in the sanctuary room? And my answer is, as long as necessary. There is no, there's no deadline. Just because your friend introduced her cats in four days doesn't mean you're going to. What matters is that you go at the pace of the most stressed out cat. So let's say your resident cat is just friendly and wonderful and well socialized and just raring to go and wants to meet this newcomer but the newcomer is very stressed out because if you think about it the newcomer is in unfamiliar territory doesn't know you yet and doesn't know if that's a hostile cat on the other side of the door so very often it's the newcomer who's kind of stressed out and overwhelmed but whoever it is that's the cat who will set the pace so Mm -hmm. you don't move on to the next step till both cats are comfortable with the current step you're at. And if that cat is not ready to come out of the sanctuary room yet and needs a little more time to get her bearings, you give her that time. Now, it's, worth, it's worth it to, to spend that time now because, to guarantee or, or greatly improve your chances of having a lifelong friendship between them. Yeah, because, you know, cats... I mean, scientifically proven that cats have very long memories, especially compared to dogs. And so, you know, oftentimes if there's some bad incident, you you get rushed and you want immediate gratification and you go, oh, the heck with it. I'm in my third week and I'm tired of having to deal with these two cats in two separate spaces. I'm just going to let them out and see what happens. And when people do that and there's a awful fight or something, is it possible to still keep moving forward? It is. You just realize you'll have to go back a few steps because you have to help them get over this. Um, also, the thing, the, a mistake I find many people make is things are going well and they're at the stage of, let's say, having the cats out and about for a few minutes while they offer treats to each cat or distract them. And then they decide, oh, things are going well. We'll keep them out for an hour. And that's a mistake. 
you know, you always want to end on a positive note. So it's better to end each training session earlier than you think you need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. And I, and I love, um, boy, you and I are on the same page with the feeding schedule, that that's the first thing you do is stop free feeding, which I always say generally anyway, stop free feeding dry food and feed your cats on a, on a schedule. It helps to instill that routine and make them feel more confident. Well, just from, I mean, I, I believe in schedule feeling, feeding anyway from a health standpoint, but just from a behavioral standpoint, food is a valuable tool. Why would you want to give that up? So use it to help train your cats. So using food can help the cats associate positive things with each other. If they're eating, you know, within sight of each other, not next to each other because they're not social eaters, but they can see each other. And it's kind of like, oh, I, I don't like you, but I'm really hungry. And every time I see you, I get this good food. Maybe you're not the worst cat in the world, you know, or if something positive happens and you want to reward a cat, food is, is usually the best, you know, option. So don't give up that very valuable tool by having cats who aren't hungry, and then you don't have that available to you. Absolutely. I, I just did a seminar yesterday, a webinar on um, socializing feral or unsocial kittens. And boy, that's really important when you're dealing with them to use that food for counter conditioning as a tool to, you know, warming up. And hey, every time you see my big scary face, I've got a plate full of big yummy stuff. <laughs> and, and that's and that's usually how we start trust building. And, and as you said, you know, working with ferals. And isn't that the first thing is they're looking for food. You have the food. So you start the trust building process, you know, by giving food in, in an environment where they feel safe, that you're far enough away. And it's the same thing with a multi-cat household. Use the, the food, use it in a way where you're not alarming the cats so that they can eat. And then that becomes a positive association. And yeah. I'm all for whatever you want to call it. You want to call it bribery? I'm fine with that. But <laughs> food is a powerful behavior tool. Don't throw it away. Yep, absolutely. And, and, and trust building and, and not to mention, it's just natural to the way that they eat in the wild. And so it's, it's, I think it's so important. Are there, are there some cats who just will never be able to tolerate another cat? And how would someone know if their cat is one of those? There are cats who just don't want to be with other cats. Just to me, it's like people. There are some people who don't ever want to live with anybody else. And with cats, it may have a lot to do with how they were socialized, the environment they're in, um, and their personality. So if you feel, if you have one cat and you're thinking of getting another cat, just you know your cat. You know, does your cat seem lonely? Does he, does this seem like it would be beneficial? And sometimes the only way to do it is to give it a try. Um, I've had cases where we've just come to the conclusion that the cats have to share the territory separately, you know, where one cat lives on one side of the house or one cat lives on another, or it's better to find another home for that cat. Sometimes you don't know until you get into it, but you will increase your chances of success if you really look at your environment, look at your cat, 
you know your cat very well. Look at your environment. Do you have the ability to do a good introduction? Do you have enough space so that you could create a sanctuary room? Do you have the time to do the introduction? Doesn't mean you have to work 24 hours a day on this introduction, but it is a slow, gradual process. Do you want to invest in this? If you feel like, well, I'm too busy, I work so much, so I'm only going to be able to put the cats together for you know, 30 seconds once a day, well, then maybe a second cat isn't a good idea. So uh, really think about your capabilities and your environment. And then also, unless the cat has just kind of found you, you know, the way we rescue cats, uh, try to match complementary personalities. If you have a cat who is just an absolute love bug, wants to be on your lap all the time, very needy, you don't want to get another cat exactly like that. You know, or if you have a cat who's very take charge, assertive, you don't want to get another one who's that way because they'll kind of butt heads. So try to find complementary personalities and then you just do the best you can. And what happens when you have a fight between two cats? How do you break that up? You don't get in the middle of it because you do not want to get injured and that can happen so easily. So when you're dealing with cats whose relationship you're not sure about yet, um, I always keep thick towels and cardboard in, in around all the areas that the cats will be so that if I can, I'll throw a thick towel over them and then they'll, they'll both scatter in opposite directions or I'll body block if one cat is staring another cat down and I know a fight's about to happen. I put the cardboard between them to be a visual block. If you don't have those things, you make a noise, you bang a pot, you, you drop a book on the floor, you do something to startle them, uh, and then they'll probably go in opposite directions. And then what you want to do is safely usher them into other rooms. You don't want to pick somebody up because they could still be very reactive and, and redirect that aggression toward you. Lower the lights, let those cats calm down, and go back to normal behavior. When you see that cat grooming, and I don't mean stress grooming, I mean the normal grooming, using the litter box, you know, seemingly back to normal again, then you may have to do a mini reintroduction because they might kind of associate each other with the last memory they have. But uh, studies have shown the sooner you separate them, the greater your chances of having them repair that relationship. If you don't separate them and they just keep associating each other with this experience, that aggression can just keep cycling. Yeah, and it's and it's scary. I mean, it's it's really scary when two cats start fighting. It's it's really scary for the owners and and gets everybody's sense of anxiety up. Which which makes me want to also hit on the fact, and you talk about this in your book too, that how important it is that the owners have a positive attitude about the outcome of these two cats relationship and that that's not founded in fear. They, again, they are emotional sponges. So you have to have a calm and positive attitude. It don't, don't have a deadline. Don't feel that, Oh my gosh, if it's not happening in two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, I'm a failure. You, you set the pace. It's your attitude of being calm and positive, and your cats will pick up on that. And I've had clients in the past where 
they've just felt like they're a failure because it's been a month and things have improved, but not enough. And one of the things I recommend is that you put a calendar on your uh, calendar page on your refrigerator and mark behaviors. So if when you started, the cats fought four times a day, or if you're dealing with a litter box issue, um, and you have new cats, you know, one cat sprayed, mark that down so that you can see as the month goes on, wow, you know, I had a cat who was spraying two times a day. He hasn't sprayed in a week. Because sometimes we don't, we don't look at the positives enough. We only look at the negatives. We only look at, oh, they're fighting again. And we don't pay attention to the fact that they used to fight four times a day. Now they're only fighting once every three days. Well, baby steps are still steps of progress. Yeah, so true. So give yourself a break. Yeah, so true. And I want to um, thank you for being here again today and, and just really encourage everybody to get this book. It just came out and it's available in, in a multitude of places, but it is so um, it is so comprehensive. Again, it's it's called Cat versus Cat, but it's not all about cat conflict. It's about it's about introducing cats not only to each other, but to spouses and babies and children and dogs and, a, and new homes. And it's about just great general cat care. And it's a book you need to have on your shelf if you're a cat owner. So tell, tell us, Pam, where people can find it. You can get it at Amazon or any of your favorite online places, uh, brick and mortar bookstores, or you can go to my website, catbehaviorassociates.com, and I have links there, and there are also a lot of articles there too, so uh, it, I tried to make it a really good resource because my goal is for everyone to have the relationship with their cats that they've always wanted. Yeah, absolutely. Because that keeps them out of shelters. And as long as shelter euthanasia is the number one cause of death in cats, we're going to keep on our mission here. And be careful when you go to buy the book because the cover is different. So there is an earlier version of Cat versus Cat and a, and a newer version. Tell them how the covers differ so that they know what they're looking for. The newer book is a white background. And just when you go to the and, and it's very clearly white as opposed to the other one, which was a darker background. Um, but if you're online, just make sure that it says, you know, the September 2020 release, uh, not the 2004 release. Um, so, and you can, it, it, the easiest way to do it is probably to go to my website. But um, I hope everyone enjoys the book. And I um, someday... I hope there is no need for professions like ours. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Me too. It was a great book. I I thoroughly enjoyed it reading it and and all the way through it went, yes, yes, absolutely. I'm so glad she's including that. Yes, it's it's very comprehensive. So I really encourage you to to get it and, and read it. And thank you again for being with us today. Thanks, Molly. And while you're out there browsing websites, check out our website too at catbehaviorsolutions.org. There's lots of cool things out there. There's, um, there's actually the, the new washable rug I've been talking about. You can see that at rugs.cattalkradio.com. And there's the new 
um, alternative to cremated remains. Instead of getting ashes, you get these beautiful solidified stones that are just gorgeous and tactile that you can hold or leave in places, maybe in, outside where the cat loved to sun. And you can see those at stones.cattalkradio.com. And follow us on Facebook and find us on Instagram. And we put a lot of good information out there on, on how to take care of your cats. So um, give us some love and check us all out. And be sure to go buy Pam's book. And until next time, keep calm and purr on. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop.